Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. A Montana lawmaker came under fire for suggesting reservations should be abolished. Another Montana official publicly questioned whether the state's native residents should be allowed to vote. The rationale in both cases is based on misinformation and stereotypes. But such arguments continue to make their way into public discussions and are gaining ground in some areas of the law and policy. We'll explore the recent rhetoric in Montana and learn how it fits in with the bigger efforts to subvert sovereignty and proper recognition of tribal power. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Tribal leaders and New Mexico's U.S. congressional delegation Wednesday celebrated the STOP Act becoming law. The Safeguard Tribal Objects of Patrimony Act was signed by President Biden just before Christmas. It prohibits the exporting of sacred Native American items and increases penalties for stealing and illegally trafficking tribal cultural patrimony. New Mexico Democratic Senator Martin Heinrich first introduced the bill in 2016. He thanked tribal leaders during the celebration in Albuquerque, saying legislation often takes a long time and acknowledged the many people in the audience who played a role. So many leaders who stepped up have made it possible for us as a congressional delegation to move this legislation. Heinrich says the new law will help prevent instances like the auction of the Pueblo of Acoma Shield, which led to the creation of the STOP Act. In 2015, the Pueblo sought the return of the shield from an auction house in Paris. The sacred item had been stolen from the Pueblo decades earlier. Pueblo of Acoma Governor Randall Vicente says he's honored Acoma Pueblo played a part in the STOP Act. Today's celebration, uh, it uh, means that our cultural items of patrimony and our religious sacred items uh, are going to be protected if they should ever leave our, our Pueblo lands. And what it also does is it uh, not only focuses on the Pueblo of Acoma, not only also the state of New Mexico, not only the United States, but worldwide, we now recognize that our sacred items can be protected and be brought back to our homelands. Teresa Pesqual, director of Acoma's Tribal Historic Preservation Office, says the STOP Act is restorative for tribal communities. It restores not only the item to community, but it also heals a long-standing trauma that tribes have had in many of their um, villages in their collective memory of these items being stolen, they be items being missing, but also allows a new generation of community members to come to know those items and what role that they have. And in this case with the Acoma Shield, the role of protection. All 19 Pueblos in New Mexico urged for the bill's passage, along with the state's Apache Nations, the Navajo Nation, and other tribes across the country. Zuni Pueblo Governor Arden Kukati says collaboration is essential. We're all communicating and consulting and, and looking at the whole uh, objective and the intended you know, outcome of it. And I think as long as all the key players continue building capacity in you know, all of these undertakings that is now becoming much more better and, and a greater benefit for the tribes. That's the way we need to continue going, is open communications, 
and, and, you know, everyone being at the table. Tribal leaders say the work to protect sacred items has just begun, and they'll examine how the STOP Act will work alongside other laws, including the Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act. The Seneca Nation in New York is denouncing the state governor's veto of a bill to protect graves from unintentional excavation. Native News Online reports the council approved a resolution during its first official meeting of 2023, which took place over the weekend, denouncing Governor Kathy Hochul's recent veto of the Unmarked Burial Site Protection Act. Leaders say the legislation was intended to protect burial grounds, human remains, and funerary objects. They say the governor's action disregards rights of Native nations. The tribe plans to seek support from national Native groups on the matter, including the National Congress of American Indians. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support for law and justice-related programming provided by Hobbs, Strauss, Dean and Walker, a national law firm dedicated to promoting and defending tribal rights for nearly 40 years. More information available at HobbsStrauss.com. Program support by Penguin Random House, the publisher of Bad Cree by Jessica Johns, an upcoming horror novel about a young Cree woman whose dreams lead her on a perilous journey of self-discovery. More on this and other stories at prh.com slash stories of the land. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Montana's legislative session started off this month with rhetoric and proposed legislation that tribal leaders and others say is misinformed at best and anti-Native at worst. One proposed resolution supported abolishing reservations, something state governments have no control over. Another public official, an aide to a state lawmaker, questioned whether Native Americans should be able to vote. This type of rhetoric that deals with the foundations of sovereignty and basic civil rights goes Rarely very far, but they play into pervasive stereotypes and anti-Native public sentiment. Today on our show, we're looking into the question of whether such talk has real implications for tribes and tribal members. How much energy should public officials put into countering talk that crops up from time to time? And does it have an effect on actual legislation? We'll hear from Native advocates and legislators in Montana, but we also want to hear from listeners. Are you seeing an increase or decrease in public awareness for tribes? Join our conversation by calling in 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE, or you can post a comment on our social media. Our Twitter handle is 180099NATIVE. Speaking with us now in Helena, Montana, is Senator Shane Marjo. He is a Montana state senator representing District 48. He's also a member of the Confederated Salish and Kootenai Tribes. Senator Marjo, welcome to Native America Calling. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. There was a draft resolution circulating that supported abolishing Indian reservations. This is something Montana can't do unilaterally. It's up to Congress. What happened to that draft? Uh, My understanding is that uh, um, the Senator uh, Keith Bergier, who brought that 
initial resolution um, has decided not to introduce it. So that just means the draft is ready. Um, if he wanted to go pick it up still, he could, um, but what he's told uh, folks is that he doesn't plan to do that anymore. Now, there was a strong backlash, the resolution never introduced, but does it do harm just having a, a trial balloon like this? I mean, absolutely. The, it, it, you know, the problem we often deal with here in, in the state capitol um, here in Helena is um, getting accurate information um, about tribes out there. And, um, you know, it's just very, it indicates that we just have a lot, a lot of in, educational efforts uh, to undertake to make sure uh, people don't continue to, um, you know, perpetuate um, false information and stereotypes about uh, Montana Indians and Native, Native people uh, generally. Um, but yeah, I think it, what it does when you have misinformation, um, like what was in that particular resolution, um, it kind of creates a value system within this building, right? And um, it, it creates a, challenge for us when we're trying to move legislation forward it it puts us in a light where you know we're kind of separate um when we try so hard to show people in this building you know we're we're elected montana officials right like we're montanans with pursuant to when we became u.s citizens we became citizens of the state and uh, montana has a responsibility to represent everybody um in the state and not just you know create this kind of like separation um, and value systems and legislative structures that we create, policies that we create in this building um, that kind of separates us out, right? And I feel like when you create things like that, saying, you know, hey, these issues are kind of separate. Hey, you should abolish the system, um, of the system of reservations, <clears throat> which, mind you, um, in its own right is, is offensive and it's spreading misinformation, right? Because reservations aren't systems. They're, they're contractual obligations that this country um, entered into. Uh, and so uh, we try hard to, to, to make sure that people recognize it's no different than if they, they had property rights or, you know, rights to, to resources as mm -hmm. a, you know, a person running a farm or ranch, right? Like how would they feel if they said you should just, your, your property and resources should disappear, right? So there's just, just a, a lot of uh, misinformation still. And our country has created you know, a value system in my, my perspective over time, right? We, you know, since um, the United States was founded, right? Indians were kind of pushed out of the way um, to make way for manifest destiny. And, you know, we, we've seen, you know, assimilation era, we've seen allotment, uh, part of that um, termination. Um, we've seen all these boarding school policies, um, all these various policies throughout time that have really you know, in my opinion, um, indicating to the more the population at large that, you know, um, we're different and, you know, we need to go away essentially, right? So it's very difficult um, in the work that we do to try and unravel that and reteach people facts, factual information. Um, you know, I'm not saying that's an excuse for people. There are just people who, you know, they pride themselves on being Indian fighters and they come into this building and, you know, they just, they want to continue to, um, pursue those efforts to kind of fight tribes, right? Like they might get their, uh, a small base of their constituents fired up if they're still considered those, have that Indian fighter mentality, right? So, um, okay. you know, okay. there's a lot of, there's a lot of hate out there still, and we, we deal with it every day in this building. 
Well, that's what's so alarming here, Senator, and, and use the term Indian fighters uh, here in 2023. It's still a, a relevant term, which is which is shocking. And but but here, despite this backlash, I mean, this lawmaker who proposed this draft must have had some sense uh, that there is support for something like that. And how concerning is that, that somebody would even just think that this is OK to, to create as a draft even? Well, <laughs> When, when pressed about it, he, he um, threw a constituent under the bus, you know, and said, well, it wasn't really my draft. Uh, but, you know, when you introduce something as a, as a senator or a representative, you're responsible for it. And, um, you know, I don't find that to be an excuse. Uh, but, yeah, I, it's, it's very concerning because I think, you know, it, it's just part of this larger effort, I feel like, to undermine tribes, to make us look, you know, discombobulated and like that we're just, you know, the wild west in our areas and that we just need help. Right. Um, no one ever talks about all the great things that, that, uh, uh, Indian people are doing, um, the various tribes throughout this country. It seems like a lot of times media, you know, I'm happy you're having this conversation with me today, but a lot of times media just covers negative stuff, um, that happens, um, uh, in, on reservations or in tribal communities. Right. So, um, you know, that's dangerous too, because you know what I believe the the intent is to kind of undermine tribes to show, you know, oh they can't manage their resources or it's just everything's just so bad, right? And and I think it's a a, a means to the end of what a lot of people want is they want our resources, they 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 want more, right? I think greed is very strong, um, uh, and it still exists, at, you know various levels throughout our country, especially in Montana. And I think people are always just going to want more. Um, and so they try to do find ways to, you know, unique ways to try and undermine and make tribes look bad. Have there been similar discussions in the Montana state legislature that reflect similar anti-native sentiment? Oh, you know, I, I feel like, you know, this was one of those efforts where it was just kind of like in your face, like, right. It's just like, look, we, we're going to just kind of call out all the, we're going to just put attention to all the negative things um, in Indian communities, um, you know, say your systems that's broken and not working and like, you know, something needs to be done about it. I think this was just an effort that in this resolution to kind of create like a cultural value system around tribes to kind of undermine the work we do in this building. Um, but I, generally, it's not so in your face. I feel like a lot of times nowadays, it's a little more, um, people have gotten smarter about their uh, kind of like more, more like microaggressions in a way. And they, they do it through policies, right? So whether it's, you know, voter suppression efforts, um, you know, uh, you know, labeling uh, bison as, as livestock, you know, trying to undermine um, things that tribes care about or to restrict our ability to vote and participate in our democracy. People are just more clever and crafty about how they, they kind of, come after Indian people in this state. And typically you see it through through policies and you don't see it spoken just straight up like you saw in that resolution. So my next question, Senator, I mean, what can tribes do to address this type of public sentiment? And I'm curious to know, uh, Montana tribes, uh, do they have uh, enough political muscle there in Helena at the Capitol to, to confront issues like this? Uh, in a meaningful, effective way? You know, I, you know, I, I don't necessarily think this is, you know, I feel like tribes do what they can to, 
you know, to make sure people are sharing accurate information about us. But I think there's a responsibility of people in this building to, to educate themselves. We put a lot of information out there. We have, um, you know, we put together a booklet off and on about um, basically giving people background and information on, on tribes and Indian law um, and policies. And so, you know, I think people have a duty to educate themselves in this building, which is why I actually um, have a draft bill in place. It's, it's, it's pretty much done now. I just waiting for it to get approved through the, uh, through the legal uh, team downstairs, um, which will actually require our legislative staff to provide um, uh, Indian education um, in this building for, for legislators. And then also um, would require our legislative staff to coordinate with the director of Indian affairs um, to provide trainings um, or con coordinate on trainings that the director of Indian affairs puts on um, every year for the state of Montana to include more Indian education. So, you know, just recently we had a train law, law school for, for legislators and legislators had 10 minutes of information about Montana Indians and tribes. Um, you don't learn everything you need to about <laughs> um, tribes and tribal governments and the history of why we are here, uh, why we have reservation uh, reservations in Montana in the first place, right? Like right, um, right. if you don't take the time to kind of educate people on why uh, reservations and Indian people are here, like you kind of just see people um, continue to spread false information about native people in this state, you know, um, mm. that said, you know, I, I just had a, also another effort, I will just say. Okay. I'm I sorry, a, Senator Marshall, we are going to have to take a break, but when we come back, I'll, I'll let you share that uh, other effort that you uh, want to talk about. Really interesting conversation today, folks. Uh, if you want to join us, 1-800-99-NATIVE. We'll be right back. Alligators are more than prehistoric-looking reptiles. They are an enduring cultural icon and traditional food source for the tribes that share space with them in the southern and southeastern United States. We'll take a look at both traditional and modern connections among tribes and alligators on the next Native America Calling. My precious relatives, don't miss your Medicaid renewal letter. Make sure you get this renewal letter so that you're not left out in the cold. Check that your local Indian healthcare provider or state Medicaid office has your current mailing address. For more information, talk to your local healthcare provider or visit medicaid.gov unwinding, a message from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're discussing the implications of harmful rhetoric in the public sphere. What legislation or public sentiment is harmful? What issues are you concerned about? Join the conversation today by calling in 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. We're joined now by Senator Shane Marjo and... Um, Senator, before break, you shared that uh, state legislators in Montana get about 10 minutes of Indian education currently. Uh, so I'm just imagining them sitting around watching a YouTube video or something like that <laughs> during a break and, and they were calling it good. But you have uh, an effort to, to, to re require mandatory training on Indian issues and history uh, there at the legislature. 
as well as other efforts, and you were getting ready to talk before before winter break, so please continue. Yeah, yeah. You know, I guess really what I'm trying to, to, to boil this all down to is, you know, yeah, the, the federal government has obligations under our treaties, and they haven't been met. You know, programs that have been guaranteed to be funded have been funded at a fraction of the amount. I think we know there's a lot of work to be done there, and, you know, um, I don't think anyone would ever deny that fact. But I also think Montana has responsibility to us as, as citizens of the state as well. Um, and so, you know, these sorts of efforts, just trying to kind of punt those issues, um, I think is wrong. And so, you know, I, I think, you know, when we're in this building and we're having conversations, you know, yesterday I brought a bill on pay transparency um, to require uh, folks to not to provide transparency in their job postings for salaries and wages and to prohibit discrimination based on you know, age, race, uh, sex, um, so on and so forth uh, in Montana. And you know what's really troubling is you, you live in a state where you kind of hear these stereotypes about Indian people or people complain about tribes getting, Indian people getting handouts, yet we sit at the, the bottom of every social indicator. And yet when you look at data, when, it, when you look at data that says uh, white men make 51, a native woman, I should say, um, is paid approximately 51% of what a white man makes um, in this country. I mean, how are, how are we supposed to bridge gaps in our country when you have statistics like that, right? Native people generally, uh, American Indians make around 70 cents for every dollar that a, a white worker earns. So, you know, we could start with starting to pay people of color in this country fair wages. Um, and I think that would go a long way in um, addressing a lot of uh, social issues that we see in, in communities, special, especially a very rural communities throughout the state of Montana. So I have a bill to, to bring more trans transparency to that. A lot of states have been doing that, um, and that's helping bridge that gap in a lot of various states. The other thing I'll just say is we need to be included in decision-making. You know, you have people just like this resolution, right, that people just push these out. They tell us what's best for us. But we're not included in those decisions, those backroom conversations that happen about um, decision-making that happens, you know, at, at, at the highest levels, um, even in our state government, right? And if you pull people in and actually listen to us and hear us, you know, we can help uh, with a lot of the, the you know, promoting uh, economic uh, stability and uh, wealth in our Indian communities across the state of Montana. So, um, you know, I think those are two good places to start. Um, and, you know, I think, uh, you know, educating people on, on facts is um, I've seen, you know, more and more over the years uh, in being in this building is, you know, we're just never going to, we're always going to have to be doing that, right? Um, because I think we've had so much misinformation um, since 1776 put out there that we just have a lot of work to do. And I think that shouldn't be put on Indian people. That should be on us here in the state of Montana as our government to, to learn ourselves and to get educated and do better on that front. Senator Marjo, thank you for your time today. And also thank you uh, for your service to your constituents there in District 48 up in Montana. Let's bring uh, another native Montana legislator into the conversation now. Joining us also in Helena, Montana is Senator Susan Weber. She's a Montana state senator representing District 8. She's also a member of the Blackfeet Nation. Senator Weber, welcome to Native America Calling. Thanks for having me. Senator Weber, you are a native female Democrat in a chamber made up of mostly Republican, non-native men there in Montana. 
how do you find common ground? It's it's difficult, you know. It's difficult. There's a lot of good people here, but um, it, it is difficult. I'm the only Native woman in the Senate, uh, and so I take various very seriously um, my role as representing all Native women in Montana. Now, Senator, when you hear about a, a resolution supporting dissolving reservations, what's your strategy to address that? Well, um, you you start politicking. You start going around and talking to individual people. But the thing is, is that we're in their face. There's no way I can change my skin color. Um, and so uh, I'm glad that our... Our leadership has, uh, especially our Democratic leadership, um, has supported us to take this bill, or, or this uh, bill draft, I should say, um, out of uh, the hopper that doesn't get the light of day because it is harmful to all, uh, to all the Native peoples of Montana. Uh, you know, just to um, echo what Senator Morshaw said, you know, we have to educate. That's the only tool that we, we really have to um, get our points across. It's mm -hmm. education, 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 education. Okay. Well, Senator, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, this draft resolution, very disturbing, but what other types of proposed legislation are, are you currently worried about when it comes to, to tribes there in Montana? Well, there's uh, we have a watch list, and it's geez about six pages of bills. And they're very subtle, um, and so we have to watch almost all the bills that are coming through. Uh, and so some of them are like I'm in on the public health committee, and there is a requirement that there's tribal consultation uh, for anything that would affect the reservations or tribal peoples. So well, we, uh, there's a bill that came through that did not um, voice uh, in it that there was, a, uh, that the state would be required to have a tribal consultation, even though it was, I, get, I believe it was a uh, bill requiring uh, aged services. Well, we have that on the reservation too. So uh, we were very uh, upset with that and we wanted to put that in, but that amendment was uh, vetoed. And so it passed out of um, public health and uh, without the tribal consultation. The only thing that we have is that they referenced the uh, United States policy on the agent that this does require uh, consultation with the tribes. So it's just kind of stuff like that that's real, real subtle. Mm -hmm. But we try to intercept all of those types of bills if, if we can, if we, but we are busy, you know, and there's just a few of us. I just have to say that um, one former legislature, when he was campaigning this last fall, was uh, talking about uh, Native Americans being overrepresented in the uh, legislature. Well, 
the native population of Montana is, is about 7% of the total population of Montana, and that um, right now, we, the Native American Indian Caucus, Montana Native American Indian Caucus, is 11% of the total body. So we are represented finely. We've never been represented to that um, extent um, in um, Montana politics. Senator Weber, these proposed bills, um, do they come from Montana sources or, or do you get the feeling that there are outside forces that play uh, maybe, you know, other states, uh, things being pushed down from the national level? What's your thought? I, I don't believe they come from out, outside sources because they're, they're, they end up to be too specific and that um, I don't think a lot of people look at Montana. We're such a small, well, we're a large state, but we have such a small population. We finally got one more representative um, because we hit over a million people mm. in, the, in the Congress. But it is, um, it's a red state. And so um, most Native Americans, most, or I, I have to say all the tribes are predominantly Democrat. So um, we are outnumbered and outgunned, and but we're still in for the fight. Senator Weber, you recently proposed a bill naming a road after the late chief Earl Oldperson. How far did that get? Well, we, we brought, uh, this was, I thought this was a slam dunk. I thought this was just a little innocuous bill that we were going to do this. It, it was a, a request from um, the Blackfeet Nation, the Blackfeet Tribal Business Council, and the 17,000 members of the Blackfeet Nation. I thought, oh, okay, it's, it's an easy bill. People came in, and uh, we went out of the room and one rep uh, one senator just requested to table, which is um, a non-debatable act, so they tabled it. And so all of us were thinking, oh, this is great. You know, he was the longest living um, tribal uh, leader in the nation, 62 mm -hmm. years in government, and served his people, served the state of Montana. I thought, yeah, this is cool. They come up with a um, unwritten rule that none of us knew, but I didn't know about it. <clears throat> that it would be um, uh, it would be uh, uh, that that's why they vetoed it. That was their reasoning. Okay, and I understand but, that their justification was that road names in Montana are reserved for for law enforcement officials. And yes. Chief old person didn't yes. qualify. Is that right? Yeah, but we didn't know that. And we <laughs> yeah. blasted it onto the floor and we got it. And so uh, it, it went through third reading. Now it goes over to the house. So it's still alive. Okay. All righty. Um, what about uh, potential legislation uh, coming up that, that's good for tribes? Uh, what do you like seeing? What, do you, what, do you, what are you happy about or excited about as well? Well, we all, um, our education bills, um, uh, the Grow Your Own um, uh, a bill that's coming through the House, 
it was uh, proposed a few years or a session ago through with uh, Representative uh, Tyson Running Wolf, and it was to grow your own teachers. You know, like it's hard for um, non-Indians to come onto a reservation. We don't have any of the amenities or very few of the amenities that the outer or the the bigger cities have. So they don't stay very long. But the people that are there, is, uh, we grow our own teachers and, uh, and within the communities. But it doesn't just help the Native community, but it helps all of the rural Montana. Montana is a very rural country or state. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then, um, yeah, that's that's about it. I mean, we're really focusing on the education, language preservation, um, voting rights, of course, bison and water. So those are our main objectives. We're, we end up playing defense a lot, but um, we're still trying to get through a few with the few of our bills with the super majority that we have super Republican majority that we have. Mm-hmm. Well, Senator, you mentioned education as key, and uh, Senator Marjo said the same thing. So uh, how about education for Montana citizens a- as well uh, about tribes, not just legislators, not just in schools, but, but everybody? Is that something that's uh, on Montana's native legislators' radar? Uh, yes, it is. And um, we try our best, uh, but just like Senator Morjo also said, you know, this is Indian, uh, this is Montana, and we have a lot of Indian fighters. Well, we're a big target. You know, there's some communities in, in Montana that we don't uh, go to we, because we know they're anti-Indian. You know, if, if we, we have, uh, especially on the west side of the mountains, but um, we're where uh, the uh, senator that brought the uh, reservation um, legislation is from. But you can't change people's mind. You just have to hope that the next generation picks it up and says, okay, let's learn about our neighbors. Uh, And this has, you know, uh, been going on a long time. We've made inroads with the school systems, but we have not basically with with the older Montanans. Um, voting rights, Senator Weber, uh, I, I know they're an issue as well this legislative session. Oh, yes. You know, uh, voter suppression. There's a lot of bills that are going through right now, and a lot of them focus on um, Native American um, voting. So, and to suppress the Indian vote. And like uh, Senator Morjo had said that, um, you know, uh, we one um, politician had said when he was running that Natives should not vote because they don't pay taxes, because our land is in trust. That's, that's just a falsehood that's blatant, uh, because we do pay taxes. The only thing we don't pay most of the time is property taxes, but a lot of us do pay property taxes. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a falsehood that uh, it's just a general statement for all Indians. I pay taxes because uh, that's the only way I could have gotten a house was to move to move my or to buy a house was to move my land from trust to fee so banks would 
be able or I'd get a loan from a bank to buy my house. I did pay my house off by the way, but um uh, so you know we're stuck between a rock and a hard place when it comes to that, but just to make a general statement like that is is blatantly untrue well senator. Weber, I, I want to thank you as well for joining us today and also uh, appreciate your service to uh, your constituents in District 8 there in Montana. Uh, so on our show today, uh, two Native senators in the state of Montana, uh, Senator St. Shane Marjo and Senator Susan Weber. And we get back from this next break. We've got a third guest on our show. His name is Tahin Perez, and he's the deputy director for Western Native Voice. And we're going to learn more about some of these issues there in Montana. Anybody, if you've got a question uh, for one of the senators or you just have a comment today about uh, some of these topics we're discussing with regard to uh, anti-Native sentiment in the state of Montana, give us a call. We'll be right back. Are you a Native American healthcare provider, recovery counselor, social worker, domestic and sexual abuse advocate, or traditional healer working in Native American communities? Dr. Ruby Gibson will begin a six-month advanced immersion in healing historical trauma. This online masterclass looks through the lens of a seven-generational recovery approach to provide powerful, proven modalities and is offered tuition-free to tribal members. Registration deadline is March 24, 2023. Info at freedomlodge.org who support this show. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Public discussion of basic Native sovereignty and civil rights is our focus today. If you'd like to add to the conversation, call in 1-800-996-2848. 1-800-996-2848. Our third guest is joining us now from Billings, Montana, Tahin Perez. He is a Deputy Director for Western Native Voice. He is Tutunaku. Tahin, welcome to the show. Sean, thanks for having me. Tahin, this resolution we're discussing today in Montana never got off the ground, and abolishing reservations would have little chance in Congress. Uh, Native folks outside of Montana, should we care about this? Oh, absolutely, Sean. Uh, and before I get too deep into this question, I just want to thank you, uh, as well as thank the senators for their time, from their busy schedules at the legislature, um, for sharing their experience and their perspective. Uh, it is absolutely essential for uh, indigenous people, native people, tribal members, as well as non-native people uh, across the country um, to, to care about what's going on in a place like Montana. I think what it is, is you, you mentioned it um, earlier uh, in your question with Senator Morjo about um, this test balloon going up as um, one of the many dog whistles that can uh, go out um, for you know, two white supremacist groups, people who um, are anti-Indian, who um, pride themselves in um, in making uh, already difficult situation for a lot of tribes even more difficult. Um, and it's it really shows um, the, the lack of proper education that there is in public schools uh, on indigenous issues, uh, the history. Uh, here in Montana, we, we have a very unique constitution that includes um, the right for Indian education for all. Um, however, that is not being implemented in uh, the most appropriate ways uh, across the board. And so um, it's it's important that this conversation uh, be had and very grateful that it's being had because 
the the public discourse is very important, and especially when public officials, people who have a platform, especially elected individuals with a platform, they have a responsibility, um, like uh, what was mentioned before, they, that they can't just uh, throw their constituents under the bus. They have a responsibility to represent um, their district, but also represent the interests of the entire state when they come together at the legislature. Well, Tahin, what are some other kinds of anti-sovereignty rhetoric you're noticing elsewhere outside of Montana? I think the for for one the the erasure around exactly how reservations came about and um, the the stereotypes that um, that um, like uh, Senator um, the senator was talking about um, previously about uh, not paying taxes and um, all of these kinds of negative stereotypes that are just not based on on reality um, really really impact the what people understand and what our elected leaders understand and so um, when when we're we're seeing on you know outside of Montana um, you know attacks on culture attacks on land rights uh, you know incursions on um, natural resources as well as voting rights um, it's it's incredibly disturbing and it's problematic um, because whenever, especially when advocacy groups like ours or individuals come together to request change, the reaction is always, "Well, you know, you 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 have all this land to yourselves. You have you know, you get free money. Um, that there's these special interests. However, there's that that lack of understanding of exactly how we got to the point that we are and how the harms that we see in the status quo." Uh, need to be addressed appropriately. And so our work in voting rights has made us very aware of how counties and states are attempting to um, undermine voting rights for uh, not just people of color, but especially rural indigenous people and tribes. Mm -hmm. And ideas like uh, what we're hearing about today with this resolution there in Montana, Tahin, does that have any real influence on actual policy? We're convinced it does. Uh, absolutely. Um, it, the simple fact that these kinds of things are allowed to um, be be brought up in the first place um, is is problematic. Absolutely. Uh, I think that the 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 misconceptions that exist that exist in public, like I mentioned, public discourse bleed into how we consider each other in the policy realm, um, that it, it is inextricably linked, our understanding of our world and how important language is and how we talk about other individuals and how dehumanized indigenous people are often um, viewed um, in, in public discourse, in policy, um, that, that really has harms that trickle down into people's day-to-day -day lives. And that is the responsibility of our organization that we do with uh, with the public is to inform them that you know these things the way the way things are talked about the the language that are used to ref, to refer to the communities that are diverse that have um, have experienced incalculable harms in the past that that language matters because that language informs how we conceive our world and how we create policy to organize our world. And the larger concern, of course, is that uh, what today is maybe just one legislator, uh, one draft resolution. But, Tahin, I mean, 
When do you know you've reached a tipping point where things like abolishing reservations could be actually taken seriously? That's a great question. And I think we, we've already reached the, the, the tipping point where a, a sitting senator for our legislator thought it was a good idea, that it thought it was appropriate to even discuss or preview the introduction of something like LC 1964. Um, and that is, or we've already gone past the point of, of where, of where we should be. Um, and I think that um, this continued anti-Indian fervor and mentality is, is way, goes way beyond what, is, what should be appropriate in, in the, this day and age. You had mentioned um, earlier your reaction to Senator Morjo's comment of Indian fighters in, the, in 2023. That is absolutely a sign that this has gone way too far, far, far way too far, and needs to have the kind of reaction that we saw. And thankfully, this time, Senator Regeer backpedaled and, uh, and, and, and vacillated and decided not to go. However, the, it still exists. That draft still exists. It is a thing that is, that is in um, consciousness, and it could take someone who has less, uh, like a larger ax to grind or, or, or more of a stomach for the kind of controversy that, that this kind of bill introduction would cause um, to, to actually take it and run with it. And so there's really nothing stopping somebody from doing that uh, except for public outcry. And uh, it shouldn't have gotten to this point to begin with. Tahin, can you think of similar proposals in other states that are on that level, like abolishing reservations? You know, our organization has not been made aware of any uh, nationally. Our focus is squarely on Montana. Um, however, you know, there I would not be surprised, um, especially in some of the states that um, are attempting to pass voter register voter uh, restrictions and election laws that are uh, very obviously targeting uh, Native voters in the Southwest uh, and other areas where. Uh, tribal, the tribal vote block is a large percentage of the of the voting um, of the vote block, and so um, it it is something that we need to to look out for, um, especially on the state legislature side, because uh, what is often left out in the conversation of of uh, of voting rights, especially for Indigenous people, is is how important the state legislature process as one of their powers to determine how and who votes in their elections, that that is where the battle is. And um, we're prepared to, um, of course, fight it here in Montana and um, be, be aware uh, as things progress going forward. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned voting rights, and I know that's very much within your wheel well. What measures are being taken to increase voter access for the next election? So we've called on the secretaries of state, as well as the legislature, to pass you know, common sense, common ground legislation that um, that moves away from the rhetoric around voter fraud, which in Montana there is absolutely no evidence of any of the voter fraud that is harped on by um, Republicans and by conservatives uh, since 2020. Um, there are, you know, very, very few documented cases of people doing it either accidentally 
or they were inspired by President Trump and his demagogues and the, the rhetoric around that to actually attempt to vote more than once. Um, which is ironic in and of itself. Um, and so the, the the focus from our Secretary of State, particularly in di- to use federal monies and any state monies uh, to amp up or, or strengthen security, is not where where we need to go. We where we need to go is uh, fully funding the satellite and alternate election service service system that exists prior to our um, primary and general elections here in the state. Um, that was a result of a litigation. In fact, our organization has litigated twice against voter suppression laws that have passed in the legislature, and we will do it again um, after the session. Um, the, what we're seeing right now, like Senator Weber had mentioned, is voter, voter laws that are aimed at restricting and um, constricting the ability to access voter registration services, access to the ballot, criminalize assisting your neighbors and your community in getting votes in. Those are the kinds of focuses that the legislature has had for not just this session, but the previous session. And so uh, we are equipped for that. And we're not really seeing a lot of proactive legislation. um, And we're not in a political climate in our legislative makeup to introduce something from our organization or or any other organization because it's dead on arrival. So we're solidly on defense as an organization in this legislative session, and we have the full understanding that we may not be able to be a backstop for all of the harmful bills related to voter suppression, voting rights, and we fully intend to continue our work in litigation if needed. Well, Zahina, I want to thank you for joining us today, and I really appreciate uh, all of your insights. Great information. I'd like to bring Senator Shane Morjo back into the conversation. And Senator Morjo, I mean, listening to our conversation today, and I'm thinking about our listeners on the air, and, you know, they're thinking to themselves, well, where do Native people go? Where do we go to speak out to make a difference? I mean, and, and what, what, is, what is the answer? Is it to be, uh, you know, a nonprofit voice like like Tahin? Is it uh, activism, or is it perhaps serving in office like like you and, and Senator Weber or uh, Deb Holland, uh, Madam Secretary? I mean, where do we as Native people have the strongest voice? I, I think it's all of those things. You know, running for office. You know, um, being present. Uh, I mean, so even going as far as one of the reasons I wanted to go to law school in Montana is because I wanted to bring my perspective to my classmates, right. Um, and do what I could to dismantle some of those uh, misperceptions about me as a native person, my community and other communities around the state. Um, you know, I think uh, making sure, you know, we do learn our, about history. You know, I would say one thing we've seen nationally that I would say is here too, is, you know, efforts to um, remove any, uh, discussions about critical race um, history, you know, the, getting rid of uh, critical race theory and, and talking about, you know, just straight up history, you know, whether it's, you know, genocide of, of uh, Native people and culture, um, slavery of, of, uh, of Black Americans, you know, so on and so forth. There's been so many efforts to kind of get rid of that because, you know, it makes people feel bad or something, you know, um, yet, you know, you know we I feel like we just, People nowadays, um, we do, 
you know, we do coddle people a bit too much sometimes. Um, and, you know, I, my effort is always just to then kill people with kindness and teach people, but there is frustration there sometimes because it's like you, sh- you do, you do have a responsibility to educate yourself. Um, it shouldn't be pointed on just, you know, putting all that weight on native people to in- inform you. Right. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I, I'm always open to getting questions and being able to, to help people um, just so that they are, they are more educated. Right. So, um, you know, I, I just think it, it's a balance of all of those things that you just said, you know, supporting groups, um, you know, donating to, to support them, uh, running for office, um, being part of advocacy groups, um, you know, going down to your local rallies um, where you, you know, you celebrate indigenous people's day, right? Like um, we, we try to do that every year in Missoula. Uh, so, you know, just being supportive of one another and making sure that, you know, um, we're doing everything we can to continue to, to uh, talk about history, true history, um, and not letting people get away with trying to um, fiddle with re- <laughs> remaking history, you know, in, in, in a way that's not accurate. I want to bring Senator Susan Weber into the conversation. Senator Weber, I'm going to give you the last word. We do have to wrap up in about a minute. But in terms of policy, I just want to get your take on on the progress that's been made uh, in Indian country. And I'm thinking back, like back when President Nixon signed the Self-Determination Act in 1972. It was more than 50 years ago. And do you feel we're further along uh, on the policy sphere than back then in, in the 70s? Senator Senator Weber. Yeah. I do. I, I do feel that we are, that we've come a long way. Just looking at how many uh, Native people are in our uh, legislature and that we can, um, you know, have some input on, on behalf of the tribes into state policy. That never happened before. We've had one or two uh, Natives in here and um, and they were totally outnumbered. They had no voice, even though they were sitting here. Um, But I think we have come a long way. And we still have a longer way to go to just be be able to sit at the table as an equal person. We have reached the end of our hour. I want to thank our guests today, Senator Shane Morjo, Senator Susan Weber, and Tahin Perez for what's been a timely conversation on anti-Native rhetoric in public and legislative spheres. Join us tomorrow as we take a look at cultural importance of alligators in the South. I'm Sean Spruce. Looking for opportunities to expand, improve, and share your artistic talents? The Crazy Horse Memorial has programs for indigenous artists, culture bearers, and educators of North America, including funding, an artist residency, a speaker series, performance opportunities, and more. The Crazy Horse Memorial Foundation mission is to protect and preserve the cultures, traditions, and living heritages of North American Indians. Application deadline is January 31st at crazyhorsememorial.org, who support this show. A hunky kadan, as cut is a cookies, a medicaid cook, a pa healthy cook, a cote, cook say tea cook, Daka hiddy katu or huskah secoot way medicaid coo. E Indian health care, kahi eek, kachu medicaid, dark gov slash unwinding cutil pain, medicaid ka medicare, jidahu katank aya.
Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davis. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.